Alright everybody, so welcome back to the second part of the uh, Q&A with me over the summer. Uh, I wanted to say thank you again for all the questions I got. Went through half of them uh, last week, going through the other half now, and I think I evenly distributed uh, actual hockey questions and uh, nonsensical questions for each episode, so hopefully there's a good amount of actual hockey talk and then uh, stupidity in each of these uh, Q&As. But uh, before we get into it, I do want to correct some wrongs from the last one. Uh, last episode, I said Mike Crawford instead of Mark Crawford. Uh, realized it about half an hour after I had slipped up and didn't feel like going back and correcting it because I don't want to invest that much time on Mark Crawford in my life. And then I also got a few of the names wrong uh, of you guys. So first one I wanted to point out was uh, Quaymond. I said Cumond, even though obviously his name is just... Raymond with a Q and U instead of R. Somehow I, you know, couldn't catch that one. But uh, and then also uh, front of the show, uh, front of the host, uh, Eamon. I said Eamon last week, and I was wrong on what both of my ideas of your name were. So looked it up, Eamon. I got it right now. Let's move on into the questions. Actually, before the questions, let's talk about the Nikita Gusev trade today. Uh, Nikita Gusev had his rights traded from the Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights, to the New Jersey Devils for a 2023rd and a 2021 second. Gusev is a 5'10", 168-pound Russian left winger, taken by the Lightning in the seventh round of 2012, and was traded to the Golden Knights in the expansion draft back in 2017 to protect uh, certain Lightning players from the expansion draft itself. Uh, he had 65 assists last season to help him land 82 points in 62 games in the KHL. And, you know, he's a Russian player, and uh, usually there's still that whole stigma around Russian players, even though we've seen Artemi Panarin pan out. Uh, but after that, we've seen Vadim Shipachev uh, also not play for the Golden Knights. So we don't know what the Devils have in Gusev here, but uh, gambling with a second and third to get maybe the next Panarin? I don't think that's the worst idea. I know that sounds like a crazy thing to say right now, but there's also a lot of hype around Panarin back then. Turned out to work out pretty well. You can't say Gusev's Panarin yet, but if he ends up being a pretty good top six four for the Devils, uh, a team that I have actively said I think they're going to be pretty good in a couple years, but I'm not too worried about them this year, I think if Gusev turns out pretty well for them, I think they might be a borderline playoff team. I could see them... Uh, getting one of the two wild card spots. Uh, if he ends up being an average middle six player instead, I think they're still going to miss the playoffs. Uh, I and I, I'll keep saying, I think in a couple of years they'll be good. Like they made a lot of additions this year that I think in two or three years it could be really painful. But right now, it's not. I, I don't think they're really going to blow anybody out of the water. They might be better than w uh, what I'm thinking, but I don't think they're going to be in contention to win the division. I don't think that's I don't think that's happening. But I did wanna I did want to try and make a point about how the Devils gave up the same package that Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers give up for Justin Braun. I'm not doing this to say look at what the Flyers could have had. I mean in general I I think I would have rather taken the gamble on Gusev, not knowing what he is, potentially getting a high-end forward, rather than Braun, who's an older player. We have one year left. We kind of know his deal, and it's not... His game's not exactly the uh, the greatest. But, and in Fletcher's defense, Gusev was a, a KHL forward coming over. 
and wanted to receive a multi-year contract, two years, for four point over $4 million. It's kind of a lot. That's a lot to go through to get a player who has not played a minute in the NHL yet. But the Devils are in a position to take those types of gambles. And the Flyers, I mean, they were there, I guess, earlier in the summer when they had a little bit of cap space. But the, the Devils have plenty of cap space to to work with, and they've made kind of these shrewd moves. And I, I think a big part of it is the fact that they went out and they hired two of the best names, I guess, out there in NHL analytics, which are Tyler Dello and Matt Kane. Tyler Dello is pretty infamous on the uh, the hockey Twitter sphere because he's uh, he knows his shit when it comes to uh, puck possession numbers and analytics and everything. And he was hired by the Oilers years ago. Had uh, I believe the whole situation was he had a few disagreements with. Uh, I guess, player management and how the numbers should be uh, understood. And he was let go by the Oilers, and we all see where the Oilers are now. And Matt Cain uh, had gained notoriety on Twitter for having pretty accurate uh, contract uh, calculations for guessing what what contract uh, each player was going to get and how many years and the cap hit and everything. And he had it down to a science and put them together. Uh, I guess we really shouldn't be too surprised that some of these moves are coming. And I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but when you look around the league, most of the time when uh, front offices add a analytical mind or a, a, a GM or a, an assistant GM that focuses on the underlying numbers a lot, they tend to be on the right side of a lot of uh, a lot of trades that where there's a clear winner. And I, I think a perfect example of that is the Carolina Hurricanes who have Eric Tolsky, uh, who I will say is a friend of the show because he used to write for Broad Street Hockey, and now he is the, what's the fancy term, Vice President of Hockey Management and Strategy for the Carolina Hurricanes. And when you look at, I think of the Nino Niederreiter trade this year, and I I pin that directly to Eric Tolsky. Nino Niederreiter, for his entire career, said pretty Pretty strong play-driving numbers, maybe not the sexiest uh, stats at some points in time, but every single place he's gone, he seems to have pretty good underlying numbers. Uh, Victor Rask, uh, I mean, he's certainly a player, but that transaction looks very much lopsided in the favor of a front office that uses underlying numbers and a front office that doesn't use underlying numbers. Uh, and the Hurricanes have plenty of other examples, and it's, it's helped them get to where they are right now. Uh, which has come within two series of the Stanley Cup. And I know this uh, postseason was pretty crazy with all the upsets that happened, and nobody could really expect the Final Four and ultimately who won the Cup. But still, they they got pretty far, and it it was due to the fact that Carolina's been building a a pretty good play-driving team down there for a while. They just could never get a save, and they were kind of unlucky in terms of uh, shooting percentages. But... They finally started getting some saves this year, and you can see how far they got. Also, Arizona with uh, John Chaco, they've made a pretty pretty big point about how they're going to make a lot of their all-nice decisions based on their uh, on what they've gathered in data for analytics and everything. And, you know, the Coyotes are not lighting the world on fire, per se, but uh, they were a lot closer to the playoffs than I think a lot of people realized last year, and they had to lean on Darcy Kemper a lot uh, during the season. So hopefully... Ranta plays more, and he plays a good chunk of the season. Maybe he plays like he did two years ago for them. Things click in Arizona. Maybe they're a playoff team, and it's because of some of the savvy division uh, decisions—not division decisions—that Chaka made uh, 
based on underlying numbers. Anyway, you guys don't have any questions about this. This is just me rambling, uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'll talk more about this on Flat Verbally for an hour or two. Steve will love it. Uh, I can also talk about other things I, I, I want to talk about on Flat Verbally later on the week, just to let you guys know, uh, is how I'm also kind of perplexed by Chuck Fletcher's decision to make all these moves before the draft in a summer where it seems like most almost every single team in the league is struggling with signing their remaining RFAs and some some more moves need to fall through like the goose of one we saw today and the Flyers have kind of taken themselves out of the running in that uh but there's still plenty of players available and I, I'm not talking about the big names like well why don't they just trade Hake in a fifth for Marner that's not what I'm talking about there's still names out there um, and I'm looking at guys like Kevin Fiala and Adrian Kempe, who are guys that'll be fine middle six players for you. And I don't know if it would, I mean, if a team's in a contract rut with them or they don't know if things are going to shake out or they're getting kind of nervous about how close they're waiting with the contract towards the season, maybe you could work out a trade with them. Again, this is all hypothetical and there's no guarantee that that's even going on around the league right now. I'm just saying, why take yourself out of the running of that possibility rather than just leave it open and possibly trade for one of these players. But whatever. All that's out of the way. Let's get to your guys' questions. Uh, we're starting off. As I did last time, there are some themes between a lot of your questions. Unfortunately, this time there is only really two. Uh, but the one really, truly hockey one is uh, the contract decisions of Provorov and Konechny. I have Provorov and Travis Konechny. First question comes from Amanda Althaus here at Amanda Althaus, who asks, uh, who's most likely to sign first, uh, Charlie McAvoy, Ivan Provorov, or Zach Warinsky? And then also, I was going to talk about, I was going to weave that question into the questions I got from Denny Breslin, who said, when do you think TK and Provorov will sign? Do you think Truba's contract influences Provies? And then he also asks, and will this season have donkey sauce? Uh, Denny, I think it will have... Uh, I think I'll have a fair amount of donkey sauce. I'll have more donkey sauce than a lot of recent seasons. Uh, and then second question from Mav and Raf Palomo in this two-part Q&A. Uh, with the deal Jacob Trouba signed, what is the impact do you think it will have on Provorov's neg- negotiations? So Denny, Mav, and Raf all asked the same uh, general question, and I felt like it paired pretty well with this one, so I'm going to talk about all of that at once right now. So... To answer Amanda's question, I think, I have, well, I have no idea. <laughs> I think right now it's all just a it's a staring contest between the the three, and that's why I enjoyed your office gif in the tweet because that's pretty much what it looks like. It's a reenactment of that office scene with uh, Mike Scott, Andy Bernard, and Dwight Schrute, where they're just all looking at each other, waiting for somebody to flinch. I think that's exactly what the situation is. And if I were to guess which one of the three teams or agents or players of these scenarios were to flinch first, I would say the Bruins. I would say the Bruins are going to try their hardest to set the market for Warinsky and Provorov because the Bruins have a lot less cap space than the other two right now, and they still have to sign more bodies. So the Bruins have $7,294,167 in cap space available. They still also have to sign, in addition to McAvoy, they also have to sign RFA's Brandon Carlo, who is an active defenseman on the team, and Jacob Forsbecka Carlson. Um, so the Bruins not only have to re-sign McAvoy, they also have to re-sign Carlo. 
And I know the Flyers also have to sign Frorov and Konechny, but beyond McAvoy and Carlo on the Bruins' blue line, you have Chara, and then you have John Moore, Kevin Miller, Matt Grizzlick, Stephen Kampfer, and Connor Clifton. So those are all definitely names. And beyond Chara, I really don't... I, I don't know who else would really pick up the slack there. I mean, Grizzlick had a good season a couple of years ago, and then he had a pretty bad season this year, I believe. Stephen Kampfer, Connor Clifton, John Moore are all guys that I, I think are on the lower end of NHL defensemen. Uh, I might have to go back and check out those numbers, but they're not somebody you would expect to fill in holes for McAvoy and and Carlo. So I think they are probably the team that's most likely to want to get the wheels in motion so they can get both these guys signed. I mean, the Flyers, looking at their cap situation, they got $13,417,421 in cap space, and now all they do is sign the RFAs of, RFAs of Proveroff and Konechny. They still have that hole on the third line, but that can be filled in by Chris Stewart, a kid, uh, you know, whatever. And then the Blue Jackets, uh, they have $15,765,918 in cap space. And they have another RFA. It's Lucas Sedlak, but he signed with Tractor Chelyabinsk in the KHL for next season. So they have $15,765,918 to just sign Zach Wierenski. So I think the Blue Jackets are in who cares mode. I think they are willing to let either the Flyers or the Bruins sign their defenseman first, and then just go. You lo- you like that deal? You want that deal? Okay. I, I don't. There's really. I would imagine that's how it's going, especially because they also lost a, a few big pieces this off season, and they're not exactly going to compete. Be competing this year per se. You don't need to. Oh, potentially overpay for for Zach Rowinski and kind of let the dominoes fall and see what you have to pay as a uh, as a repercussion. Also with the Bruins, I mean, going through that defense again, John Moore's locked up for a while for some reason, but Carlo and Carlo and McAvoy are two of their younger defensemen. McAvoy is pretty damn good. Carlo, eh, not so much. Not not a lot of points. Not really that great in terms of uh, tilting the ice in the Bruins' favor, but. I, I would take those two over a lot of the other available guys, and Chara is also uh, 100, which I think is another thing that McAvoy's camp is probably pushing, that you know the Bruins just went to the Cup. If you still want another chance at the Cup, you have the team here, Chara's still here, this is the year to go and do it. So I think out of the three situations, I think the Bruins are in the hardest, or the... The most difficult situation and the situation where they would need the smallest cap hit for their RFA young blue liner. So I think they would be the one that wants to reach out to Charlie first and get the deal done. And then the Flyers and the Blue Jackets just go off of what they saw from McAvoy. In regards to Truba, I don't think Truba is the closest comparable to Perveroff. I mean, the comparable makes a lot of sense. They're both younger defensemen. Truba is 25, and uh, Provorov is 22. I think Provorov, the better comparison for Provorov is what Amanda set up here with McAvoy and Wierenski. Uh But still, Truba and Provorov, I would consider pretty good all-around defensemen. I think Truba has more offensive upside than Provorov, per se, but I think Provorov's pretty pretty damn good defensively. Um, and, uh, Pro, I mean, Provorov's next contract's just going to be weird. I think Tr- Truba's deal did nothing but bump up Provorov's price for, uh, for a couple reasons. Truba, I think, 
might it's probably better. Uh, yeah, he's probably better than Provorov uh, offensively. But Provorov still has a 17 goal season to his name, and Truba has one 10 goal season in I believe six years of playing. And uh, Provorov averaged over 25 minutes ice time this year, and Truba has broken 24 minutes once. Provorov was over 24 minutes last year as well. Uh, and then also, I don't. I think it's kind of weird because Provorov's this is Provorov's second contract, and this was Truba's fourth, I believe. Uh, so I, going into this, I'm expecting. I think everybody's expecting at least seven million in the Ivan Provorov deal. I think it might be. I thought it was going to be a little bit over that, but at this point now, I'm not really sure what. I mean, I have no idea what what Provo's going to sign for. I, and I, I have no idea when it's going to come through. I, I think this might be a situation that might, might go to September. I don't know. It, it feels like it might go on for a while, and there's no reason why it should end anytime soon. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, when it gets down to the wire and the last minute, they're, they'll start ironing out details. So there could be, a, I feel like there's going to be a lot of RFA deals signed late August first week of September around that time right before everybody has to go back to uh to training camp and everything so all right thank you guys for the questions moving on to the biggest and uh I guess least organized category I have which is uh old patterns from previous regimes now Flyers have kind of been doing the same type of season for the last few seasons here uh Hextall got fired Hextall got fired not a lot of positivity going into this season. I mean, those those two things are making fans happy. But I think the general feeling from the fan base from seeing the actions that Fletcher completed and looking at what teams in the division have done, I think a lot of Flyers fans are kind of negative heading into next season. And I'm trying my best. I'm really trying not to be one of those annoying fans this summer just because it's it's a long summer. And there were some... Big name acquisitions on the table that I guess a lot of people felt like the Flyers could have landed, like Panarin or Bob or Quinville, and none of them happened. And it seems to be a lot of a whining this off season, which I get, I do. I just I can't go through the whole off season being super negative about this team, I guess. And I usually believe me, I usually am one of those people, but I think the Flyers have a lot of good pieces that. Some people are kind of undervaluing, and I do think the moves this this offseason will help them next season, even though they aren't as flashy or as definite as some of the other teams uh, within the division. But let's get let's get to some of these questions uh, about uh, yesteryear. So the first one comes from uh, Pardini, at Pardini36. Uh, who will be our new all-star along the boards? Now, this is a good question, because speaking of uh, past seasons, good old Yori Laterra was dubbed by Bill Clement, who I think... I don't know a situation where Bill Clement would say the Flyers were were bad. I feel like he could spin it every other way. Like, the Flyers could play a fourth-grade hockey team. They could lose one to nothing. And then Bill would somehow talk about how the fourth-graders were actually supposed to be in fifth grade. I don't know. It would be a whole thing where somehow the Flyers would be absolved of anything even though they clearly deserve to lose or they clearly deserve didn't deserve a call or something. But anyway, Bill Clement, of course, called, called Yori Laterra an all-star along the boards. Yori Laterra, infamous for doing cocaine and sucking ass at hockey in his time in Philadelphia. 
Uh, so the next all-star along the boards, I want to say is going to be Chris Stewart. That's my, that, that would be my answer to this question. I, I really, all the Yuri Laterras and the Dale Weeses of the team, I think are kind of gone. I think the only, the only player everybody, uh, just collectively is not looking forward to seeing play, I think next season is Hag. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the rest of the line. I mean, I, 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 I still defend Voracek. I still like Voracek. I know a lot of people don't. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like Ghost, but I'm talking about the entire the entire fan base couldn't stand Chris Vandevelde. Um I I mean I couldn't stand Belmar either, but I know a lot of people do like him. But they're you know players like that, and Chris Stewart I think would be somebody that if he was to get signed, I think he would be somebody who would be annoyed to watch uh, all the time, especially knowing that. He is taking the spot of what I believe is supposed to be Frost or Farabee's spot, or maybe NAK. I don't know who's going to get that spot out of camp, but we would already have the instilled hatred of Chris Stewart because he would be the the new Yori Latera of taking a spot from a younger guy, and I don't know what Chris Stewart has left in the tank. So it, he could provide a Yori Latera type season that's really painful. Looks like he's skating in quicksand. Horrible underlying numbers puts up like five goals all year, and but he'll keep getting he'll keep getting ice time because that would be the Yuri Latera mold. But you know, but see, this is what I'm talking about the old the old regimes and the old past mistakes. I don't want to assume that AV is going to come in and treat uh, Chris Stewart or Tyler Pitlick. Tyler Pitlick would be another good answer here for this one. Actually, Tyler Pitlick, Tyler Pitlick is. The best answer, but I want with the dark horse, I guess, of Chris Stewart because he's not actually on the team yet. But I, I but I don't want to assume AV is going to come in and treat Stewart or Pitlick like Hackstall treated Vandevelde or Laterra. He hasn't made this mistake yet. I know his coaching tendencies in Vancouver and New York, but he literally has not done a single thing here in Philadelphia. So I'm willing to give him a chance, and then about five games into the season, bitch and moan and cry because I held it in all during the during the off season. So, uh, next question comes from Steve Outlaw, uh, at Mike Savage, six one Oh on Twitter. Uh, December, do they win 10 in a row or lose 10 in a row? Because we all know that streak is going to happen. And Steve, uh, I would guess this year is the winning streak. Steve's of course talking about how 2016, 17, December of 2016, they went on a 10 game winning streak, 10 game winning streak. They, Really didn't deserve to win 10 straight, obviously, because that team sucked and missed the playoffs. Steve Mason stole a couple games. I think he stole the game against the Bruins and the goal, the, the game against the Panthers. Stellaris pitches a one nothing shutout where Braden Shen scores in overtime to make it 9 straight in Detroit. And then they played the Avs that year for the 10th game. Terrible team. Win 10 straight. Inexplicably win 10 straight. And then the rest of the year was uh, a living nightmare. 2017-18, uh... November and December, they lose 10 straight. Um, the last two games against the Bruins and Sharks look absolutely lifeless. They were up against Pittsburgh late in Pittsburgh for what would be their eighth straight loss. Uh, give up a, a goal late, losing overtime. Uh, and then, honestly, the game the game that ended the losing streak that was kind of shitty against the Flames, too. I'm pretty sure they got heavily outplayed and they still won 5-2 somehow. And then even this year, there was an eight-game winning streak and losing streak. So the Flyers, at some point are going to go on a massive, annoying streak that has no rhyme or reason to this year. 
that a lot of narratives are going to be pushed out for. And uh, I think the good news is we should be, this should be the year that the 10-game winning streak happens. And then they'll have to rebound and figure out uh, how they're going to do handle the 10-game uh, losing streak next year. But, you know, they get a year to figure that out. Uh, good old Irish Jimmy gives us a pretty good question that I connected to two other questions I received. So Irish Jimmy asked, if they start slow again, which major piece gets dealt? So that's always been, I feel like uh, for previous regimes, it's always been a reaction that if things don't start out well, you make some kind of trade or deal somebody to kind of, you know, get the ball rolling. And uh, maybe not necessarily a major piece, but I'm thinking of like Talbot for Downey, the amateur trade. I would even say like last year, firing Ron Hextall in uh, in November, I think would be considered uh, moving a major piece. But uh, so I wanted to connect that to a question I got from Tom Sloan, who said, in order to keep G and Coots as Flyers lifers, what do they do with Jake and JVR to make room and when? What scenario would make Jake a trade deadline candidate this season or at the draft? Does it mean TK or Frost explode onto the scene? So I think everybody's first answer for Irish Jeremy's question of which major piece would be moved would be Voracek. And I don't think that's the case. Because we've heard a lot of smoke around Ghost possibly being traded. We've heard some actual rumors of players being traded for Ghost. And it seems like some of the uh, more important names in terms of uh, NHL reporting, I guess, or maybe insider trading, knows that Ghost name was put out there, it sounds as though. Compared to Voracek, who we haven't heard a single thing about Voracek possibly being moved. And honestly, when you look at Voracek's deal, I think it's kind of hard to move Voracek's deal without... Just getting a lot of... Jake's got five years left at $8.25 million a season. I don't know... I don't know how the Flyers would be able to move that deal and get a better player for possibly a bigger cap hit, if that's the way you want to go about it. Or just get a tangible player and not have to eat a lot of that. I don't I don't know how the Flyers could work this out by shipping out Voracek and not taking a lot of picks and prospects back to save all that cap space, or getting... I, I think if you trade Voracek, you're definitely going to lose the deal. So I, I don't see... I, I don't think it's likely Jake gets traded at the deadline or the draft uh, next season. And if TK and Frost explode onto the screen, uh, onto the scene, not the screen, uh, it might force Fletcher's hand to trade Voracek that might ultimately lead to Voracek get traded but it's more of a Fletcher just wants to move that body so Frost or TK has a spot on offense and he's gonna not get as much as he should get in return so I don't know the Voracek trade I I think that's a lot it's a lot more of uh I guess that's a lot more fan-made than reality because I see a lot of people pitch it out there and I've seen a lot of people suggest it uh, but I I don't know any way it would really pan out as a win for the Flyers uh, in terms of what they would get back. So yeah, that would be that would be my stance on Voracek. But I think my answer to Irish Jimmy's question, if I had to uh, if I had to pick one, I think it would be I think it would be Shane. I think it'd be Ghost. I think it would be Gossespierre because we have been hearing his name out there on the quote unquote trading block for a while, or just. Uh, you know, rumored to be on on the move or Fletcher willing to move him. And uh, he's got a contract that's pretty easy to eat. And also, I think a lot of teams would bank on Ghost's uh, offensive upside returning to what it was before this season. Whatever happened to him this season, 
I think he's going to overcome it next season. I think he's going to have a monster season next season. I think I said that in the first Q&A, actually. He's going to have... I think he's going to have 60, 65 points and look like his like his old self. I think he's going to have the old ghost uh, shimmy at the line and everything. But, you know, if things start slow, I, I think he'll be the first one to go because the team also has uh, has plenty of defensive help now. They still... I, I would assume they're going to sign Pro Ruff before the season starts. So then you'll have Pro Ruff, Sanheim, Myers, Braun, and Niskanen, and Hag. You'll still have a, a full defense. You know, if if this situation were to unfold, this is how it would go because they do have the bodies to uh, to replace Ghost if that situation were to unfold. I don't think he's. I don't think that would happen. But if I had to take my my guess, that would be the piece that would move. And then, in a related question, uh, I think another name that some people might throw out there because he's been pretty underwhelming in his first two seasons, I guess, would be Nolan Patrick, which I. Th- I got a question from Andrew Alton here that says, uh, at Alton Philly 444, if Patty continues his curve and has another disappointing season offensively, does CT2, chucking two trades, keep patience and sign him for cheap a la Cooter and watch him blossom, or would he move him for something more established? So real quick before I answer the question, Andrew Alton uh, is the reason why Flyperbole was mentioned twice on uh, Bob McKenzie's Bobcast. So if you ever want people to start listening to your podcast, regardless of what it is, uh, just come up with a dumb nickname, make sure Andrew's listening, and then he will email Bob McKenzie about it. It doesn't have to be about hockey. It can just be about anything. And then Bob McKenzie will be talking about your podcast on his. So uh, I also, going off of Andrew's question, um, Ricky McShane, also tweeted at me, please remind everyone that the male nickname of Patrick is Patty, P-A-D-D-Y. It comes from Padraig, uh, kind of like Craig, A-I-G, P-A-D-R-A-I-G. It's Irish name, and uh, Patty, of course, is Patricia. So just PSA for you guys out there if you're spelling it. Uh, Ricky's seeing it and getting pissed. So, I mean, you can troll him or just, you know, actually try and help him out. But to Andrew's point, uh, I think I think uh, Fletcher's going to sign him for cheap and keep him around. Uh, to this season, even if he has another underwhelming season. In a way, so obviously you want Patrick to have a monster season. He looks really well. Give him a contract. You're, you're certain that he's going to be the 2C of the future. In a way, I don't know if he'd be that bad if he had another underwhelming season, at least statistically. So then the Flyers could sign him for cheap. Maybe not give him a bridge deal. You know, they sign him for... Two million less than what he probably deserves, and sign up for term, and then in a couple years when he starts piecing it together like Atoria did, the deal looks amazing, and maybe he's one of the best contracts on the team. Uh, and honestly, for Patrick, his first season in the league was pretty rough, uh, coming off major surgery, coming from the WHL, and then just jumping from there to the NHL immediately off of that surgery. Going to be kind of hard to start the season well, uh, and then last season. There's a lot of stuff going on with the franchise. Again, younger player, maybe. Everything was a little unsettled. Didn't get going until late. And I think he's also come out and said that he is a, he is a slow starter in general. But this is this will be his first year without any major distractions. So I want to see how Nolan does. I'm hoping he does thrive. But for contractual purposes, I wouldn't mind if uh, he had like a 37-point season. And he played really, really well. Uh in all three zones and then ended up getting underpaid and he's going to get undervalued like Sean Couturier. So that would be, 
that would be an ideal situation, and I think it could happen, because I, I don't think Fletcher's going to trade him away. I think part of the Kevin Hayes, a, a big part of the Kevin Hayes signing was to help Nolan Patrick kind of be groomed into being the second-line center, and then I guess we'll figure out what to do with Kevin Hayes after that happens, but, you know, just moving the wing. But I think a big part of the reason why Kevin Hayes was brought in, because there was a second-line center hole, and also to help uh, Nolan Patrick's growth. All right, so that... That ends the uh, problems from old Flyers past section, and now we're moving on to prospects. I have three three questions about prospects, uh, and the first one comes from a photog Josh. Josh asks, uh, looking at our rebuild compared to other teams that are in in one or have done one quicker, realistically, how many more years until we're actually contending and not just get getting lucky? Josh, I thought this was going to be the year that the Flyers actually took a step forward. I say that all the time, fly verbally. I, I believe I was saying it a lot coming into this year. I thought this was going to be able to take a, a, a big step forward. But I I guess I'm going to put that into next season now. And uh, I, I think a lot of the pieces are there, as I've said before. And I, I think they're going to take that step forward. And when I when I look at the other teams that started rebuilding around the time the Flyers did, I the three teams that come to my mind are the Leafs, the Sabres, and the Canucks, and it's kind of hard to gauge. It's kind of hard to gauge how long a rebuild's supposed to take when those are your three three teams. The Leafs, the Leafs had they they decided to rebuild at the right time, and then they decided to strip it all the way down, which is the right thing to do. And then they got pieces in order like Shanahan and Dubas, and Landing Matthews first overall. They did all that in pretty short order. And I still think, let's see, they 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 sucked in 2014-15. Uh, that's when it, they hired Brendan Shanahan about, a, I think, a, around the same time Hextall did. So that pretty much started, in my eyes, the rebuild for them. So 2014-15 was the first year. 2015-16 was the second they got Matthews, and then 2016-17, they made the postseason and lost to the Caps. And now they look like one of the most uh, terrorizing teams in the league. I don't want to say 16-17 was a the year they started looking like they could contend. I think 2017-18 was. So then, you know, you commit to the rebuild for 14-15, 15-16, 16-17. So they had three seasons, and I think that they it, they seemingly had everything go their way and happen as quickly as possible. Uh, look at them. And then I think of the Sabres, who were the absolute other end of the spectrum, and he had Tim Murray come in and try and do the process with them, and I they started, I want to say they started their, they hired him, they hired Tim Murray in January of 2014. 2014-15, uh, they very clearly, that was the start of the rebuild for them. They were trying to throw games, they made the process type deal where they traded for Evander Kane, who was out for the rest of the year. So they were losing active roster players just to have somebody sit on IR to get the team worse. Didn't get the bounces of the ping pong balls. Got Jack Eichel, not the worst player, but not Connor McDavid. And then seemingly haven't gotten many breaks in the draft after that. A lot of horrible asset management, uh, trading away Ryan O'Reilly for nothing. Jason Botterill doesn't really quite look like, uh, he knows what he's doing there either. Although he did get the Skinner deal, and you know, I guess he's done some other things. But they, they, I still say they're in a rebuild. I don't think I don't think they're getting the postseason this year, and or yeah, I don't think they're getting the postseason in twenty twenty. And their biggest achievement, I think, since they started that rebuild, was they had a ten game winning streak this year, I believe, and it was pretty much PDO fueled. It was just a lot of uh, 
they're getting pretty lucky. So they haven't, they still haven't been able to piece anything together. But that was, uh, that may have just been more Tim Murray's, Tim Murray's approach rather than how long it takes to rebuild. And then the last team I'm thinking of is the Vancouver Canucks with Jim Benning. I know Jim Benning, I believe, got hired in the same offseason as uh, Ron Hextall. And uh, I, you know, Vancouver's quietly done all right at drafting high-end players. They got Elias Pettersson, they got Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat. They got a lot of guys at the top of the draft. But then Benning goes out and he signs guys like Brandon Sutter and Michael Furland and Jay Beagle. Fucking, um, Tyler, well, Tyler Mott's fine. Uh, and like Tyler Myers, that's another one. Tyler Myers is what I'm thinking of. Uh, guys that are average to maybe replacement level, and then he signs them for term, gives them a lot more money than they deserve. Not hilariously bad. I, I don't know if any of these are worst contracts in the league, but a lot of them are very unfavorable. So I think it's kind of hard to gauge their rebuild as well because they have a lot of good young talent on the roster. It's just good young players drafted high in the first round, and then half their roster is bottom six guys that sh- you know really shouldn't get paid half as much as what they're getting paid now. So there, it's a, it's kind of weird to gauge how long the Flyers rebuild has taken the other teams. I guess I, I guess looking at the few teams I'm thinking of. Uh, I mean, but if this is this is probably year six, I'll just say I think they should. Uh, I I think uh, it could probably be going a little bit quicker than this. I I I I think we're all in the same boat with you. I think this is just a really painful <laughs> end of the rebuild here, and they should be. They got to start competing now. If they don't start competing this year, I it, it'll be interesting to see what next off season is like. I think I think next off season, then you have to start. You have to really tear it down, but we'll we'll see how this year goes. I'm pretty positive about this year. Um, next question comes from a friend of the host, uh, Steve Haziz, at Hasses for the Masses. That is uh, his handle name. It's a pretty good handle. I wonder who thought of that. Uh, he says, Farabee or Frost, who cracks the lineup first? So uh, I always... Uh, I'm sticking with Bill's theory here, and I think it's going to be Frost, but Bill's theory of... Frost may not necessarily make the the team out of camp, but halfway through the season, he's probably going to get caught up and then stays up. He's going to pull off the Drew from 2008-2009, I believe was the season he did that. Uh, I want to say it's Frost just because he's the older prospect. He was in camp last year. He keeps bulking up. He's abused the OHL. There's nothing left for him there. So I'm just going to go with Frost because I think that is a safer pick. However, Joel Farabee had one hell... I mean, he's kind of skyrocketed since the, the day the Flyers drafted him. He The day he was drafted, there was a lot of concerns about maybe he was a product of Oliver Wallstrom and all this kind of stuff. And then he goes, has a very dominant season at BU, one of the most dominant collegiate seasons in a while for a freshman. Uh, leads the team in a lot of major offensive categories. Wins the 2019 Tim Taylor Award for being the NCAA's Rookie of the Year. If you told me that Farabee is the, the first one out of the two to make it onto the team, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think either are making it through camp. I think Frost is the first one that makes it, and he's a call-up uh, this season. I think he plays this year. And honestly, with the, the pace that Farabee has been moving at, I really I, I wouldn't be surprised if he saw some games this year. I wouldn't really bank on that. But it is, I mean, it's a hell of a leap to go from drafted freshman year of college, uh, freshman year of hockey to 
professional hockey in a year and a half or whatever the hell Farabee's doing now. But uh, it's pretty impressive, and I, I really wouldn't doubt that he could just jump to the NHL. I'm not going to guess what his timeline is for jumping to the NHL because he's already kind of sped up the first part of the whole getting drafted, the pro hockey phase. So we'll see. We'll see who makes it first. I'm saying Frost, but yeah, I mean, Farabee might surprise a lot of people and get some games this year. Um, good question, Stephen. Uh, moving on to our last uh, actual hockey question of this Q&A. Comes from our friend Eamon, who I, I sure hope I'm saying that name right now. Uh, but what prospects are your favorite in this upcoming draft and across the NHL currently? So, Eamon, I have not looked at the 2020 draft uh, at all. All I know is Alexis Lafreniere, I think is how you say his name, is expected to go first overall. 37 goals, 68 assists, 105 points in 61 games last year for Ramuski Oceanic and the QMJHL. Uh, I, he's been The 2020 draft has been his for a few seasons now. So he's going to be a monster. I'm excited to see him go to the Islanders or Penguins, whatever fucking Metro team we're going to have here. Um, around the NHL right now, uh, I already talked about the Canucks, so after dunking on them, I want to... I do love watching Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson play a lot. Uh, I, I don't know. They're just fun to watch. Quinn Hughes is very dynamic on the blue line. Elias Pettersson does some really creative stuff. And uh, I also like Cal McCarr, who just came in for the, the avalanche. I feel like he could be... I feel like he could have a Shane Gossespierre-type rookie season next season with how much hype he'll get and how much he could take the league by storm. Uh, and then for players that have been drafted but aren't in the league, just to add in another prospect, uh, I've been a big fan of Alexi Hipponiemis for a while. I don't even know how to say his name. I just remember looking at I remember seeing his name and watching highlights of his for a while, but I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. 5'10", 148-pound, 20-year-old center. He was taken back in the second round of 2017. He had 46 points in 50 games for Carpet, Carpot in the uh, the league of the season. Um just amazing vision. He's an incredible passer, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be in the league. I don't think he's supposed to be in the NHL this year, but uh, he's coming along. And I don't know. He's just uh, some of the passes he makes. I don't know how he he sees the teammate he's passing to, and he does uh, no look passes uh, quite a bit. In the in the videos I've seen of him, he's done that. So, all right. So now that the actual hockey is done, let's move it on. To the other nonsense part of the show. So thank you. This is why I'm doing this because I know, I know the people like the nonsense. So let's get into it. <laughs> uh, Andrew Damaris. I'm not quite sure how to say your name, and I'm sorry. Uh, at VT Liberal. What are your thoughts on the new Top Gun trailer? More or less baby oil plus volleyball needed. Okay, so I'm saying more baby oil and volleyball. Uh, there's too much dialogue, too many shots of jets, too many famous people. I just need shirtless guys playing volleyball to seemingly defy masculinity or something. I don't know what the fuck the first point of Top Gun was. It ruled. But, uh, yeah, just pretty much a promo. Just should just be nothing but baby boy on volleyball and just beach volleyball. That's it. Uh, Steve Ferrigno, uh, asks, what order do you choose to watch your own Wilson anthology in? Uh, so I decided that... I think the most appropriate way would be to figure out how many wows are in each movie and then watch it from least amount of wows to most amount of wows. So I have no idea the fuck uh, has the least and most amount of wows. So I'll just say 
let's say um, the internship had one WoW, that would be first. Uh, Cars 2 had five, that would be second. Uh, Shanghai Noon was, you know, they had ten, so that would be the last one I watched. That would be how I'd watch it, Steve, so thank you for asking that question. Uh, Zach, Z2Bro, here I am, Zach, answering your question, because apparently you didn't hear that there was a second part to the Q&A, Q&A on the first one, but anyway. Roast Pork and Broccoli Rob versus Philly, Philly Cheesesteak. Which do you prefer? Also, favorite flavor of chicken wings? These are the important questions. Heart emoji. Thank you, Zach. Heart emoji back to you. Uh, cheesesteak. Always cheesesteak. I mean, steak, cheese, and bread. And I want to go. I'm going cheesesteak all the time. Uh, and then favorite flavor of chicken wings? Um, I'm a simpleton. I'm going with um, barbecue or uh, buffalo. Those would be my two answers. Uh, next question comes from uh, Phil. Uh, friend of the show. Phil at PhilGarrett12. How much to ship me a case of Yingling and a cheesesteak to St. Louis? The uh, the joke is on you, Phil. I don't believe in mail. Uh, Jason Carroll asks, I saw Ghost and Morin at 30th Street, luggage in tow. Speculate, TMZ style. So I'm assuming they were coming back from someone's wedding, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they came back from the uh, defensive prospect uh, bust meeting. You know what I mean? Because they're both busts. So they were just, you know what I'm saying? You guys get what I'm saying? Ghost is a bust is what I'm saying. Next question comes from uh, at Please Call Me Shirley. Whomst on the team is genuinely excited for Cats parenthesis 2019 and parenthesis question mark. Uh, thank you for the question. Thank you for saying whomst as well. Uh, secondly, I want to say raffle. I have no reasons for this. I just think it's funny picturing raffle sitting legs crossed with a scarf on at a theater. I don't know. It's just it, it's funny to me. Uh, Dan Fisher asks, Why do lot hockey when few hockey do trick? Dan, this is a horrible question. I don't know what the fuck it means, but I'm going to try and answer it anyway. Uh, My answer is because minimal stick and puck doesn't have the same magic. So there you go. I'm here answering the literally impossible questions to answer. So I hope you guys are listening. (laughs) Uh, Tony M. Stewart, if our friend the rat were to suit up, which number would he wear and what position would he play? Uh, Obviously, whenever talking about a number, it would be 69. Uh, and then I would say he played the wing because that's uh, the position that Brad Marchand plays. Toe for John, friend of the show, friend of the host, asks if you had to assign each contestant on the Bachelorette as each NHL team's mascot, which team would they be on and why? So, Topher, I forget two of the guys' names. I know there's Pilot Pete, and of course, I know there's uh, Luke Pither, and then I forget who the. Uh, the other guys are. Uh, Pilot Pete uh, flies plane. Ian gave him a pretty cool nickname. I'm going to say he's gritty. I'm going to say he's the top one. Uh, the guy that Hannah dunked on. The guy The guy that Hannah informed she had windmill sex one of the other contestants. I think that was Jed, the guy that gets upset. Uh, I'm going to say that was Spartacat. Uh, and then the rest of them, I, I don't know. That That's going to be my cop-out, is I don't know. Because uh, I forget the other two names, and I don't feel like looking them up, so... And also, I don't know, I literally don't know anything about the Bowser besides what uh, Ian has told me. So, next question comes from Anna, Anna, friend of the show. Uh, you and Steve versus Gritty and Paul Holmgren, tag team. Who would win that fight? Now that, I'm going to pair with another Gritty question that I got from a uh, friend of the show, one of the best friends of the uh, host IRL, Mike Palomo, who says... Gritty was spotted working out at a Planet Fitness on Chris Columbus Boulevard. Do you feel him working on his dad bod is better or worse for the Flyer brand than the New Jersey Devil breaking glass 
and ultimately ruining a child's birthday party. Uh, if you haven't seen this video, I think I'll I think I'll link it in the uh, the BSH post so everybody can see it. But the 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 New Jersey Devil, the NJ Devil, the Devil's mascot was. It looked like he was in a classroom for kindergarten or first graders, and he was with a group of kids, and they were doing the thing where they kind of wave up and down the blanket or whatever. I don't know what they were doing, but he was the the mascot was in the activity and then all of a sudden turns and starts jogging towards the glass window there's a three panes of glass as on one side of the wall starts running towards one and just runs through the one pane of glass it shatters and then everybody just kind of looks at him like what the hell is that about <laughs> but so that is the new jersey devil running through the nj devil uh ruining a kid's birthday party now compared to the to gritty working on his dad bod, I think gritty working on his dad bod is a worse blow for his brand than the New Jersey the NJ Devil running through a pane of glass. Nobody cares about the NJ Devil. He's already he's already got to be like a bottom five mascot. I don't know. I I'm showing no respect for the the NJ Devil. He doesn't hold a candle to gritty. Gritty, of course, is the 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 heartthrob of America. Everybody loves him. The big appeal from though is that he's ginormous and large and. Uh, he does that thing with his stomach where he shakes it and then his eyes go all over, like shakes his head to his eye. He needs the weight. He doesn't need, if he gets a six pack, we don't know Grin anymore because then he's going to start getting an ego and he's not going to be a true, he's not going to be a true Philly icon. So I'm going to say uh, Gritty going to the gym is worse for his brand uh, than uh, than the NJ Devil running through a pane of glass at a child's birthday. And then to get back to Anna's question, like I just said, Gritty is rather large. So I think I think Steve and I I don't want to you know I don't want to jump to conclusions here I think Steve and I could handle gritty I feel like I could handle gritty gritty all you have to do with gritty is just uh, you just run circles around them and eventually you all pace them and then you can just punch them in the back of the head so you just keep doing that because he'll get around them punch them in the back of the head then he'll start turning around to try and catch you and you can just keep running around them keep punching them in the back of the head and you'll eventually you'll eventually get them down Paul Hunger would beat the living shit out of both of us. To, to full stop. There's no, there's no way we can get around it. He's got that old man strength. He's fought a million people. He's probably pissed he never won a Stanley Cup with the Flyers. There's a lot, there's a lot of things working against me and Steve in that hypothetical situation. So I think for comedic purposes, Holmgren would let us terrorize Gritty. Everybody would laugh, and then Holmgren would just probably knock us out at most three punches. I think is what he would need. I, maybe two. I could, I would probably just drop and go right into the. Uh, Right in the hiding, and they just forfeit. But that's uh, that's my that that is my stance on whether or not Steve and I would beat Gritty and Paul Holmgren in a fist fight. No, it would not happen. We would get manhandled mainly just because of Holmgren. All right, everybody, that is the last question I got. Again, all the feedback can you give me? Are these good? Are they worth doing more of? Do I sound as insane as I feel recording these? Just give me any kind of feedback. Of course, Fly Purbly is coming out later this week. Uh, if you guys really did enjoy these Q&As, I, I really do want to start pumping out more of these these solo podcasts. Just because I, again, want to put out as much Sweet Tangy Tent out into the world as possible. This is a new avenue I have to possibly do that. Just... Let me know how you guys are feeling. Uh, of course, it's uh, at sports underscore r underscore bad. And I uh, will talk to you guys soon.